guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't want to lose this precious sense of God's presence here this morning. But I do, uh, I, I need to get through some practical things. Forgive me, I, I've got 15 minutes left. Um, you haven't got 15 minutes left. I'm just talking about me because you're going to be here a lot longer. Anyway, um, I, I want Victor Outreach that have come, and every one of these that are about to join me on the platform are trophies of God's grace. They're in God's cabinet of grace. So would you come and join me, the girls and the guys on the platform. Let's welcome them as they come. Would you do that? Uh, by, by, your, uh, by your nice, nice little clap, maybe, let me explain to you, all of these are ex-drug addicts and convicts who are now saved loving Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yes, you okay? Okay, Joe. Now, now, <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, one of the amazing things is that often we always tend to exaggerate what the devil's doing and we never give glory for what God is doing. I believe that our best days are ahead of us, church. I really, really do. And uh, I, I've stopped telling God how big my storm is, and I've started telling my storm how big my God is. <laughs> it just works out better in the long run. But it's an honor to have, this is not all of them, we've got uh, twice as much as this uh, back home in Wales, but you know, it costs money for minibuses and all that kind of stuff, and, and uh, we didn't have to pay the congestion charge because it was Sunday, the Lord's Day. So at least the Mayor of London is keeping in with the Lord's Day, amen, not charging on Sundays. But it's great to have, these are my family, and uh, they represent uh, across uh, the four homes that we have uh, in South Wales. Most of you may not know or may know about our ministry called Victor Outreach UK. We are in the business of making a difference one life at a time. Let me just say to you, you know, we might have, you know, emptying people here today, but each of these individuals is special to the heart of God and to our ministry, each and every one of them. And... Uh, Just a little bit of, bit of history. The work of Victor Outreach UK began on the streets of London. It began in the early 60s when a young lady by the name of Dinah Sansom went on the streets and she was feeding the homeless and the alcoholics and God challenged her and said, it's all very well feeding them and clothing them, but where are they going to sleep tonight? And against the best wishes of her church, because she was a young 18-year-old blonde girl, she started bringing these men back to her house. That didn't go down very well, did it? But they were drunks, they were alcoholics, and she converted the loft in the bungalow she was living in, she put beds in there, and she, she prayed them through their rattling, their detox. And as a result of that, today, after 35 years today, we have Victor Rose UK, of which I'm the, now the director. And uh, even though I'm a church planter and pastor of a fantastic church, best church in Wales, um, I, my greatest joy is, is this, because we're in the business of changing people's lives. 
Because that's God's business. You know that, you know, God's business is changing people's lives, not, you know, altering people's behavior. <laughs> that's religion. Changing people's lives. That's called a heart transplant that God does. And we've got some amazing stories up here. I, I mean, just incredible. We're not going to get time to get through all the stories, but I'm going to ask just one or two to come and share their stories. Kev, do you want to introduce it? Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, do you want to come and tell us your story? Keep it short. I'll slap you around the head. It's okay. No, no that's how we talk. That's, when, when, when I say, when I say, the, the guys know me, when I say keep it short, I'll slap you around the head. We, 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 yeah, see what I mean? It's just, it's that's how we discipline them, you know, spare not the rod and all that. You know what I'm saying? Give us your story, Jimmy. Yeah, we'll do. Hello. Um, uh, I'd rather just glorify God, to be honest, but I've got to tell you a bit about my past, right? Yeah. Um, I had a bit, a bit of an alright upbringing. It was a bit turbulent, and we had to move to North Wales and uh, to get away from the turbulence. There was a lot of love there, but we moved to really a, a village packed full of drugs. And I, I think from the age of about 12, I started on just small street drugs, acid and weed and whatnot like that. But this, this was kind of my life for 22 years. The second half of my life really was heroin. And amongst all that, I had two kids. Um, I, just, I just didn't really do well with my life at all. Every decision I ever made was the, bad, the, the worst of the worst decisions. Um, thinking that having kids would calm me down. Well, in actual fact, it, it just, I, I was off the wall. I, I, I was a lot worse with them, like. Um, I got custody of one of my daughters. For 10 years I had her like her, but stuff went downhill. I had, like I said, I was a smackhead like her, so it don't stay up for long. Like, And uh, my mum's mum's got my daughter, thanks, like her, you know, it's, it's great. And uh, I came here, my brother told me about Victory Outreach. So just to break us down, because uh, yeah. you were, when you say smackhead, not everyone understands that. Like, uh, so yeah. It's a bit, a bit dull. Yeah. Christians here, you know. A, so he was a heroin addict, right? So most of you know, in, in, in his world, our world, like smackheads, you know what I'm talking about. Some, some of you will know what I'm talking about. Some of you might not, may not want to admit to know what I'm talking about. But, and so your brother told you about Victor Outreach. Tell yeah. us what happened when you came to Victor Outreach. Ah, it's been quite mad. Well, I, I, I came to Victory Outreach a, a year ago, coming up to the day. Um, and in, in two weeks, it'll actually, I, I, I would have been a Christian for one year. So, you know. Um, it's been amazing. It's really, for me, just going back, say, 13 months ago, to think I'm going to be here standing in front of you fine people talking about my testimony would have been an absolute joke and dressed up in this get up would have been an absolute joke you know uh, but it's been amazing God's doing wonderful things in my life he's, he's you know he's, he's restoring little things he's restoring trust back to me but in diff- everything in different ways which I wouldn't imagine you know uh I wake up some mornings. After waking up, I wake up, you know? Yeah, we all know about that feeling. And uh, but I start getting excited. It's not all the time, but I get excited. And I just love Jesus, you know? 
it's, it's, it's awesome, it's awesome. Uh, Jimmy, and, Jimmy uh, just to tell me, but your relationship with your daughter as well, what, what's awesome, there? awesome. It's, it's, we're, she's doing brilliantly with my she mum. she always saw you, you were off your face, and now she sees you clean yeah, and everything. And, yeah, and she, well, she's, she's, coming she's to our church as proud, well. she's so proud. It's, she's never really, she's loved me, of course, but she's never really... Had a chance to be proud. If I got a crappy little job, like, yeah, she'd be the first one to tell all the mates, oh, my dad's got a job. He's not a loser. But in her words, she says, I got my dad back now, didn't she? she says, I got my dad yeah. back. You know, I got my dad uh, back. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. See, folks, listen. This, that's God's business. God restores the relationships, amen, that the enemy tries to destroy. You know, I know you could say more because you're a preacher in the making, but go away. And, uh, okay, mate. What do you want? That's anointed water. You be careful when you drink that. My lips have been on there. Be careful because you might go under. Ha! Ah. <laughs> Keep the mic up to your mouth. Hi, um, uh, my name's Jamie. I'm from a little, little town called Blenavin in South Wales. It's a little mining town. Um, as, a, as a child, I had a, a really good upbringing. I had two loving parents, two loving grandparents and two amazing brothers. But like everything, it didn't last. My mum and dad split up when I was about nine or ten, and I think that's when things went downhill. Um, I was still doing good in school at this point. Um, I was living with my mum at the time, but we, we, uh, my dad met a new woman, and me being a young kid, I thought I was missing out on something. So I had a row with my mother, and ended up going to live with my father, and and that was the worst thing I could have done really, because once my father got married to his new wife, um, we didn't didn't get on at all, and. I was arguing at home, and nine times out of ten, I don't think I was doing nothing wrong, and I still to this day, I believe that. But my dad, I think he was just too scared of being on his own for the rest of his life. And every little argument me and his wife had, he used to hit me and that. So this was at the same time when my, my grandfather died. So at school end, I just went down here, my grades started slipping. I started smoking fags, which was the first step. And then when I was 16, then I started smoking weed. And that was just, it's just getting away from the pain, and you just forget everything. And uh, well, when I was about 16, I was started obviously drinking, and I was going out. I was I was wasn't going to school whatsoever. I think uh, the, the year 11 in school, I only went to school three months in a whole year, which ruined my GCSEs. And uh, then uh, that year, then I, I had a fight with my dad at home, and I ended up going to live with my mother. But at this time, I was it was too far gone. I started mixing with the wrong crowd, and my drugs just my drugs got become heavier and heavier as the time went on. And um, then two years ago, I lost my son through, it was, through a stillborn, and that just sent me wild, I did. And for two years, I was just really bad on MCAT, which is, is quite bad in South Wales at the just minute. Just explain MCAT again, because these are Christians that are a bit tough. Um, it's it's, it's, it's methadone, methadone See, or something Most like of these are probably only sniffed incense, <laughs> you know, the church, you know, so they don't, uh, so just explain it a little bit. It's methadone. It started off as an illegal how you could buy from like an in-shop. No, don't tell them that. They'll go and buy it. <laughs> no, no, no. You mustn't do that. These are, you see, you understand? See, where we're from in the valleys in Blaenavon, right? This is, this is London. <laughs> this is Notting Hill, right? So you don't, you don't tell them where they can buy drugs. It's dangerous. <laughs> and you especially don't tell them it's legal either. Right. Oh, it's not legal so, no more. So just go past oh. that bit and move on. Yeah. And uh, about a year ago then, I, I got to a point where I was just down and it was just making me so bad and I tried to take my life for an overdose and end up in hospital. 
Um, I tried kicking it for a few months after that, but I always ended up going back with the wrong crowd all the time. And it was just it just carried on and carried on. And then Christmas just gone, my mum kicked me out. She kicked me out for years. But she'd always take me back because she loves me. And time after time, I'd just be throwing it back in her face, but she, she'd keep taking me back. So in December then, I was living in Cumbran where the where the Victory Church is. And every day I used to walk past it, and I don't know why, I kept looking at the banner, and I read it every single time. It was like God was bringing me bringing me to the church. And then, in uh, how long have I been here? Five weeks? I, 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 don't know. I don't even know where you are. I mean, <laughs> how long has you been here, Kev? It's been here about four or five weeks. Four, yeah. four, four weeks? Uh, You've been with us four weeks, you have? Four weeks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how you got saved. What's been happening in the church? Uh, and, uh, well, I got, I got into a really, real bad state, and I was down, and I rung my brother who was in the army, in the Welsh Guards, and he, he knew that I was bad, and he rung my older brother, and he came and see me, and I just broke down and said, look, I need help, otherwise I'm going to kill myself. I'm, I'm going to chuck myself into the ground. And I said, I, I'm just going to go into any rehab. And uh, just before I went to the doctors to put myself into a rehab, my mother rang me, and she said, oh, I got an application from you for a place called Victory, and I was thinking, Victory? Have you heard that place before? And when I went and looked at the application form, I, I see the Victory sign, I seen it, and I was like, I know this place, Mum. I walk past it every day. And uh, I filled the application in, I put it on on a Tuesday, and by the Wednesday I was in there. Can I just, um, just on that? What's important here is, some of you may understand, in the work that we do, very few rehabilitation organisations can get people into rehab as quick as we can. We have a direct access, really, uh, which is quicker than most. There is a procedure you have to follow through because obviously we have to make sure we're not taking just anybody in. Um, we let you in, though. But, um, <laughs> but my point is, is that one of the reasons why I would urge you to pray for us and support this tremendous ministry is that we do offer direct access rather than making people wait on a waiting list for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we thank God for all the other rehabilitation programs that are out there, the excellent Teen Challenge, Yeldon Manor, and others that you will know of, Patel, who do a superb job. But one of the things we can boast on is we can literally get people in straight away, so we are better than them. Anyway, so um, just, uh, just finish your story here. And um, I, when the first day I came in there, I walked in there and I looked at all the boys and it was just like a, sh a light shining behind them. I was like, wow, they're really happy for ex-drug addicts and, and convicts. I couldn't believe how happy they were. And I was like, I definitely want a bit of that. But uh, I didn't believe in God at this point. And the first day I was there, I was up in my room and I cried my eyes out. And I said to myself, well, it is the God make me stay because I was going to go the next day. And I came down and I spoke to, to Matt, where is he? Matt, but there. And Matt talked to me and he, he stopped me from going. I had a really good night that night. And I thought, right, I'll stay again. And the next day, I was feeling a bit better, so I kept staying. And the fall, I come on the Tuesday, on the Sunday, I went to church, and the boys saying, go up for prayer, because I was in a bad state. And I went up for prayer, and I had this rush go through me. My eyelids started shaking. And after it, I, it was the best feeling of my life. And that, that's when I gave myself to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it was two weeks after that then, I've quit, I quit smoking fags. So I don't smoke, it's been nearly three weeks now and I haven't touched a fag. Uh, I'm just feeling better every day, every day. I'm feeling better and better and better. And, and it's thanks to Jesus and, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trudy, Trudy. 
How many of you know it's good to give glory to God? Amen. Amen. Um, he's a mighty deliverer. He's a mighty healer. He's mighty to save. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, my name's Trudy. Um, I came to Victory Outreach about seven years ago. Um, my life was in tatters. I, I was a mess. I'd been an addict for 17 years. Um, my, my addiction led me finally to, to living on the street, selling my body on the street, um, surfing from crack house to crack house, from squat to squat. And really that is what my life had um, come to before I came to Victory. And uh, the first time I came to Victory, I had to be literally dragged up the hill. I was so sick. I was five and a half stone. I couldn't stand to my feet. My life was a mess. And you know, God is a God of the impossible. Let me tell you, God is a God of the impossible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so like I said, I came into Victory Outreach. Uh, the first time I came, I, the pull of the drugs, I never surrendered my life to Christ. Um, but, you know, God touched me there. You know, God touched me there. His presence was there. And he touched me. And I, and I ran off. I went my own way again. And, and God drew me back. And uh, I was in a prison cell. And God just cornered me. He just cornered me in that cell. And you know what? The scales just come off my eyes. I didn't know what was happening, but I knew God was real. And as much as I wanted to run back, God had me cornered there. And, you know, anyway, I ended up basically coming back to victory. Uh, the court gave me an 18-month conditional uh, discharge to come back and reside on the program. And you know what? I went back to that court after six months. And you know what they said to me? You are not the... I, I came up against the same bench. Um, that had previously seen me. And when they looked at me, they said, you are not the same girl. And I thought, hallelujah, no, I am not the same girl. <laughs> Glory to God. And, uh, you know, in that six months, in that six months, I'd so come to the end of myself. You know, I was adopted as a, as a child. Um, I was sexually abused from the age of five. This went on through my childhood. So obviously this left me very confused, violated. Um, you know, I had a whole host of problems, basically, issues that I was running from. When I used drugs, it, it was a way of escapism. You know, I was terrified to face those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions. I was just running, running, running. And, you know, the more I ran, the deeper and deeper I got into the drugs. And they just bound me and bound me. But you know what? Like I said, God is a God of the impossible. And when I reached the bottom, my, my lowest point, you know, I mean, many times I reached my lowest point. But you know what? I just kept going lower and lower and lower until the point I just gave up because in my journey I tried detoxes I did try different things about 30 times and I must have had you know detox raw uh, that means without any help um, uh, many 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 times and you know nothing worked I'd got to the point where I'd given up all hope you know and sometimes we get to that point don't we We've given up all hope. But I tell you what, let hope arise in your hearts tonight. Because you know what? When there seems no hope, when there seems no way. God, but God. Hallelujah. So, so uh, like I said, so I came into Victory Outreach. And, uh, you know, in that last time that I came, I, I, like I said, I was adopted when I was a child. And um, I read, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, a letter called The Father's Love Letter. And it's scripture. It's based on scripture. And do you know what? I read that. And do you know what? I, f I just knew I'd come home. I just knew I'd found what I'd always been looking for. Something just clicked in me. I got on my knees. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ in my room. And I was delivered radically, radically yeah, in a moment. Were. I'd been an addict for 17 years. 17 years. And you know, nothing, 
Nothing could help me. And do you know what? When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I tell you now, I have never once wanted to put a needle in my arm again. I have never wanted yes, to put on, a crack pipe somebody. to my mouth again. Hallelujah. And I give him glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you know what? You know what? The best thing of all is, you know, Jesus doesn't just save us, does he? He doesn't just save us, but he wants to heal us, restore us. God wants to restore to you the years that the locust is eaten. And he is a faithful God. He is not a God that he should lie. And, you know, that's what he's done in my life. And, you know, seven years ago, and I tell you what, everybody, I mean, even the founder, when I came in, he used to say to me, he said, I took one look at you and I thought she'll never make it. But I tell you what, but God, but God. And um, so uh, now I get to run the women's home. Wow. Wow. So I get to run the women's home and I'll tell you what, I tell you what, God has been so gracious. He's been so good. And you know what? Blessed be the Lord of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions and in our troubles. You know how he uses it, how he turns it around and how now I get to pour into these girls. Like I tell you what, I love it. I love to see the change and the transformation. You know, we have an answer and his name is Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. And I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, right, God has provided for this work for nearly 30 years. But I tell you what, how does he do it? He does it through people. He does it through people. And I tell you what, I just ask you today, stand with us. Stand with us. Make a difference, one life at a time. You can do it. I tell you, come and speak to us afterwards. If you want to get behind us, I tell you, we welcome, we welcome you. We'd love for you to stand behind us. And if you feel that you've been touched today, I tell you, Get behind us. Come and see us afterwards. In Jesus' name, Thank amen. Thank you, Susie. Well, I, I, um, I, but there's an evangelist right there. I mean, I, I, I didn't know whether to just sit down and ever carry on and just uh, look out Joyce Meyer. Um, but this is, this is great. We've got so much more stories, you know, we're going to hang about afterwards, time is, is, is going, I know we're not going to be strict with that, but as Trudy's just said there, when you, as you leave later on, I'm, I'm going to be very brief in my deliberations of the word this morning now, but I want to bring something very important to you, as you leave on the right hand side, we have a table there with all of our literature. If you are, just as Pastor Colin and Pastor Amanda support our work in prayer and the generosity of this church of offerings, we won't ask you to stand with us financially, but your first commitment is to your local church and to the mission of reaching London and the world for Christ. After that, if you're able to pray and consider if you can support our work, uh, I'm on a personal mission to get 500 people to give £25 a month, which will cause us to go back to where we should be because we lost £300,000 last year from this ministry because we're not government-supported, because we're a Christian organization. But you see, we know that our God, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Amen? But the earth is the Lord's. He puts it in your pockets. And therein it is. And I can see the queen's head just crying every time you pull her out. Like she don't want to leave. <laughs> but if you are able to support this wonderful ministry, we would really, we'd really thank you for that. You go on our mailing list as well. We won't badger you every week, every month. We send out four newsletters a year with fresh new testimonies of what the Lord is doing in people's lives. And I'm sure you'd love to be part of that. We can email it to you so you don't have to have all that junk mail through the post along with all the pizza leaflets and everything else. So we'll be able to do that for you as well. So please visit the stand there. I'm going to be standing there with my team at the end of the service as well. Give them a big God bless you as they go. God bless you guys. Well done. God bless you guys. 
Okay, open up your Bibles to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. The book of Esther. I want to just... Um, the book of Esther. While you're turning there, I just want to say that um, we have some books as well that I've written to catch a thief, which is in every prison in the country. This is the best-selling book in my church. We also have... Um, a book that Wynne Lewis inspired me to write called Making Your Faith Work. In fact, there's a write-up on the back from, from Pastor Wynne there. And authentic Christianity. So, and, you know, to support what we're doing, that would be great. We'd appreciate that. I want to speak just for me for 10 minutes because time has gone and I apologize for taking that. Especially to Pastor Colin, I apologize for taking that a little bit more time. But I want to speak on Esther for a few moments and... Um, because there's a revelation here that I want to share with you this morning that I believe is going to set some of you free. I really believe it's going to set some of you free. The story of Esther, as you know, she's brought up by her uncle. She's adopted Mordecai. And above all the women in the palace, in the king's palace at this time, Esther is favored above them all. In fact, in chapter 2 and verse 17, we read, And the king loved Esther above all the women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins. So that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So here we have a situation where the natural progression of the, the right to be queen, Vashti, is bypassed because the king is showing grace and favor to this woman called Esther. Her background, of course, as you know, she's brought up by her uncle Mordecai, and they are of the Jewish descent. They are Jewish people in the kingdom at this time. And what happens is very interesting. In chapter 3, we're introduced to another character called Haman. So we have Queen Esther, who has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then we have a man called Haman. Haman is one of the several guys who is, has access to the king. There's only several that were princes that were allowed access to the king at any given time. And Haman was one of them. And he came into the presence, and the king promoted Haman. He gave him authority. And the Bible says that Haman advanced, was promoted, and was given authority. So much so, the king took the ring off his finger, which speaks of his signature and power and kingdom, and placed it on the finger of Haman. Sometimes, before God promotes you, he promotes your enemy. It'll all make sense in a few moments, don't worry. You're thinking, oh, no, no, no. I rebuke my enemy. Sometimes... God will promote what is against you. God will promote the enemy. The sickness will get worse. Circumstances will get even darker before God does a miracle and you get the victory. Haman is given this position of power second only to the king. But something very interesting happens. In chapter 5, one day, and I'm skipping a lot of time, Esther is stood at the entrance of the palace. She's like by the doors. And she, the Bible says she's prepared herself in her finest royal apparel. I mean, she'd been soaking in fragrant oils. I mean, she'd been to the best spa you can imagine, which is the best gift any husband can buy for his wife. A week, a week, not a weekend, a week at a spa with all the beauty treatments. Have what you want. How many ladies would like that? Well, the rest of you are miserable. You need to get a life. Being pampered, pedicure, manicure, all those things. Lovely, thank you. Cucumber on the eyeballs. I do it at night sometimes. It's good for you, you know, it refreshes your eyes. I wake up in the morning, I'm like, ah. 
But my wife said to me when I did it, she says, how can you see? So what I did was I cut two holes in the cucumbers, you know, the things, and I put them, anyway, so I don't know why I'm telling you that, but anyway, so going back to this, <laughs> Esther was stood by the entrance. She wasn't in the palace. She was by the entrance. And it says the queen was on his throne. And for whatever reason, it seems as if Esther caught the glance of the king as he looked and saw her. And he called her into the palace. He said, Queen Esther, come, come here. Look at verse 2. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out Esther, the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, what do you want me to do for you? What is your request? And I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. And the queen answered him, if it seems good to the king, let the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I've prepared for him. Now look up at me. At this moment in time, Haman was plotting to destroy God's people, the Jews, Mordecai, and of course Queen Esther eventually. He was, going, he was planning to destroy God's people. And I want to prophesy over you what the enemy is planning to do to destroy your life, and he's plotting to destroy your life. What he means for evil, God is going to turn for good. But th let me show you how it comes. Don't clap, you take up my time. This is, how it's, this is how it comes. I want you to see this. Because the title of the message today is, you have to bring your enemy into the presence of the king. You have to bring your enemy into the, not leave your enemy at home, not leave your issues at home, repent, get cleaned up, come to church. You bring your issues to church and you bring them into the presence of the king. The psalmist put it like this, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. So Haman is the enemy. And she says to the king, I want a banquet, and I want Haman to come to the banquet. And the, and the king says, no problem. Really, what she's saying to the king, there's nothing wrong. She's saying, I'm fine, king, just let's, let's have a banquet. Now, gentlemen, when, a, when you ask a woman, is, there, is everything all right, and she, is everything okay? And she says, no, no, nothing, everything's fine. Let me just translate that to you. What she's saying is, something's up. But what happens here in this story is, this happens a second time. The queen looks at the king again, and the king is somewhat a bit troubled. He says, Esther, what, what's wrong? What, what, what can I do for you? You don't, some, something's wrong. Uh, men, you know when there's something up with the woman, or the wife. Listen, a happy wife is a happy life as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I tell you, it really is, I tell you. And the king knew something was up. He says, what can I do for you? And she says, oh, just, just, nothing, just, let's just have a banquet. Now, when, when you ask a woman, how are you? And she just goes, yeah, I'm fine. When she does it twice, you're in serious trouble. <laughs> there is definitely something going on. Something up. The third time this happens, we come to chapter 7. Haman is there drinking wine, eating food at the king's table. He has the authority and the power of the king. But Esther has something that Haman doesn't have. She doesn't have the power and the authority, but she has the favor of the king. And you might feel powerless. You might feel you lack authority in your spiritual ability to overcome the enemy, but let me show you something for a moment. How did Esther gain this favor with the king? 
It was more than just her physical beauty and the fragrance she gave off. It's because what she was giving off, I want you to see this as part of what we do when we worship. When we worship, we, we grab the attention of God and God turns his face towards those who worship him. And favor comes. How do I know that? Well, watch this. Any of you who've got children or grandchildren, and you're having a conversation in church, and your grandson or your son or your daughter wants to get your attention, this is what they do. And then they talk to you. Favor is exactly that. Favor takes the face of God and turns God's face to get his attention. And she sat at the table. Her enemy is there. She knows what Amon is plotting to do against her uncle. In fact, she can hear, while they're banqueting, she can hear the gallows being built upon which Mordecai, her uncle, was about to be hung upon that Haman had planned. And she was sitting there calm. She, did, she was not troubled at all in her spirit because she knew she had favor with the king. And she brought her enemy into the presence of the king. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And this is what she says to the king in chapter 7. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Queen Esther. And the king said again to Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is your petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted to you. What is it you want me to do? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. I'm not going to read all of it, but let me give you the overview. You can read it when you go home. Basically, this is what happens. This time, she doesn't say, I want another banquet. This time she says, there is somebody that's plotting to kill my people and do harm to me. The king sits up. What? Who is this person? Can you imagine Haman's face? The New Living Translation says he went pale. I bet he did and all. He's sitting there and all of a sudden she says, yes, the person is that evildoer Haman right there. The king jumps up in anger. The Bible says he goes out to the palace gardens. Basically, he goes out to get some fresh air. When you lose it, go and get some fresh air. It's a good tip. He went out to the garden and got a bit of fresh air. He comes back in. He sees Haman on his face on, on a set of a couch crying before Queen Esther, asking Queen Esther to spare his life, which doesn't happen because we know how the story unfolds. What it says here, then verse 8, Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. Haman was fallen upon the bed where Esther was. Then the king said, will, be for, uh, will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Habona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai. Let me explain something to you. What the enemy is trying to do to use against you to destroy your life, God will use the very same thing to hang him upon. How do I know that? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. What did Jesus do with the cross? The Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 15 and 16, that on the cross, that Jesus would crush Satan's head. And so, Jesus was hung upon the cross as Haman was hung upon the gallows, different because Jesus took our place and our punishment on the cross for our sin so we could experience the favor of God. But you listen to what it says. Take him outside and, the, and, and Haman had made for Mordecai who had spoken for the king. He stands in the house and then the king said, hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath 
pacified. And Queen Esther becomes second only then to the king. Not Haman, she is. And not only did now does she get where she was offered half the kingdom, now she has all of the kingdom. What if she'd settled for half the kingdom? Never negotiate with your enemy. Never compromise and say, oh well, I suppose that's my lot in life and I might as well just accept it and get... No, 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 no. In Jesus' name, no. Bring your enemy into the presence of the king. What do I mean by that? I told our church on Wednesday night, this is when the miracle broke out. I said, some of you, you want to grab a chair, an empty chair, stick it next to you, and say to your enemy, whether it be sickness, disease, financial, addictions, depression, whatever, sit there and watch me worship the king. All the challenges, all the, the things that are against you. Don't leave them at home. Bring them to church. And get them to sit next to you and say, sit there a little while and just watch while I get my praise on. Because you bring your enemy into the presence of the king. And when you bring your enemies into the presence of the king, and as you worship the king, you give off that beautiful fragrance of worship, the king turns his head towards you and says to you, what do you want me to do for you? Well, king, as you've asked, you see this one here and that one there? They have tried to take me out so many times because I can hear the gallows being built. Do me a favor. Do me a favor. Excuse the pun. Take them and hang them outside. And I'm here to tell you today as I close, whoever you are under the sound of my voice and listening to this right now, Every weapon formed against you, every gallow that's been constructed to destroy your life, God is going to turn it around when you begin to bring your enemy into the presence of the king and when you worship the king, his favor will come upon you and he will say to you, what do you want me to do for you? Now, remember who it is who is saying, what do you want me to do for you? This is not the prime minister. This is not the president of the United States of America. This is not the queen. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And... And he is saying, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, hallelujah. The blind man, the, the, the paralyzed man, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? So often we're shouting in prayer and telling God, and God is saying, do me a favor, be quiet. What do you want me to do for you? We don't need to beg, grovel. The Bible says we can come into the throne room because of grace. We don't grovel into the throne room. We come in boldly, the Bible says, into the throne of grace and find help in the time of need. 
Because God is not keeping people out. You see, church and religion will keep people out. But God never died on the cross like this. He died like this. Because he wants to gather people. He wants to bring people in. Irrespective of where they are in life's journey. Irrespective of what they think about themselves. Where where they get their identity from. God doesn't really care about those things that we care about. All he cares about is loving you. And he paid the price for you. He died for you because he wants you to come home to him. Because he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life. And then when you step into that. Now, you, you say, you say, you see, this is the thing. When God starts to use you, you'll have loads of enemies, critics, people who will misunderstand you, lie about you, say all manner of things about you. It just so happens this week I had an email about KT. I don't know if you had it at the office. Saying, KT is a cult and they're preaching a false gospel. And, and this big, long email, and it's probably some... Sexually frustrated man at home living with his mother with a knitted jumper on a computer with thick rimmed glasses who's got nothing better to do than go on the internet and he's like the, the, the policeman of the internet and going through people's ministries and nitpicking and trying to think when we're trying to win London and Christ, uh, 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 London to Christ and we're trying to, win, we're trying to win the world to Christ, you've got people sat at home who got nothing better to do than eat sandwiches and pick their nose on the computer, spending too much time on Facebook, criticizing preachers who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and lives are being saved. There's loads of those. Now, now what I say to my enemies is, join the queue. But if you're going to be with me, you're going to hang with me, and you're going to be my enemy, you're going to have to come with me to worship. Because I'm taking you with me into my worship. You're going to have to come into my presence. You're going to have to come into the presence of my king, because that's where I dwell. So don't talk about it. Don't talk about me. Come and see me on my turf. Let's do this thing together. And bring... And bring the enemy into the presence of the king. And I've done this. I've brought the, I've, I bring them into the presence of the king and say, sit down there now. Watch me. Okay. You're telling me I've got nothing to praise God for. You're telling me I've got nothing to worship for. I've just lost my job. My son is on drugs. I've got no money in the bank. I can't pay the bills. I've had letters of repossession on the house. The car payments can't be met. I'm going through all kinds. I've just gone through divorce. I've just, I've just been made redundant. Come to church with me. Redundancy, come to church with me. Come on, come on. Come to church with me. Because I've had enough for you sitting at home telling me it's over. It's not over until God says it's over. Come with me to church. Come on. Come on. And sit down there and just watch what I'm about to do. Just one touch from the king changes everything. Just one touch from the king 